You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 293. Hello, good evening, welcome everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. And, you know, I am excited for this show every week, but this week I might be super extra double excited. A little bit of Maybe extra triple pep in your excited. Step, yeah. A little bit of extra pep in my step. This is an odd-numbered show, which means we have a guest on the show, and this week we have none other then board game design legend Phil Walker-Harding on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. What an intro. We're delighted. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, we are huge fans of your games. I mean, Baron Park and Imhotep and Sushi Go. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. We could talk about your stuff a lot. You have most of them behind you, I see, strategically placed in the view of the camera. <laughs> yes, yes. During lock during lockdown, with all the Zoom meetings happening, I thought I should do a um, bit of a backdrop, like yeah. all the other um, small business people I know and <laughs> freelancers I know have. Yeah. So yes, I do have some games behind me now. It's either kind of the board game nerd backdrop, or it's like the beach, the fake beach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've gone with definitely, board. definitely nerd backdrop for me. <laughs> well, I, well, we appreciate I, that. I you're think. in good company. Yes, absolutely. All right. <laughs> Well, um, as always, we start off the show with a fact, and this one is reaching back. Anitra, we are <laughs> we are children of the '80s and the '90s, are we not? We are. We, yes. yes, we are. And my fact for the episode 293, there is a show that uh, that was out. It actually got you know briefly revived called Beverly Hills 90210. Have you heard of this show? I do vaguely remember this show and how I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was a child. <laughs> yeah, it was not appropriate for us. When we were doing Phil, Phil, is this a show that you are familiar with? I remember it well. Uh, I mean, I didn't watch it. I never watched it, but I remember- I remember the, lots of commercials for it. I mean, yeah. nobody here is cool enough to watch 90210. <laughs> no, no. That's how no. No. But, um, So my fact about 90210 is this show ran from October 4th, 1990, to May 17th, 2000. Yeah, about 10 years. And uh, back then, a season of a show was you know, between usually 26 and 30 episodes. Mm -hmm. There were 293 episodes of the original Beverly Hills 90210. There you go. What do you think of that? All right. I actually found this fact about a month ago when I was looking for a fact for something else. And I was like, you know what? 293 is a weird number. I'm going to save this. Just in case. <laughs> Just in well, case. And, and, and you got to guess what? It. I did. I was able to do that. So that is my fact of this episode 293. There are 293 episodes of the original Beverly Hills 90210. Well, I have a fact as well. According to a recent poll sponsored by the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, only 18% of Americans feel very confident about their retirement. That doesn't actually surprise me at all. So if you aren't sure about retirement, you're not alone. If you want to talk to a professional to see if you're on track to achieve your goals, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to schedule a quick phone call and see if First Move is the right fit for you. Thanks again to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. All right. Thank you so much to the team over there. So at this point in the show, we talk about some games that we've been playing. 
We've got some games behind us, Phil. You've got some games behind you. What's uh, what's been hitting your table lately? What have you been playing? Actually, one thing I've been playing quite a lot: uh, Roll and Write called Voyages. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's by uh, Matthew Dunstan, who's a good friend of mine, and he started a little publishing company just to make print and play games. So it doesn't exist in a you know boxed format. But he ran a little Kickstarter and it went nuts. And you just pledged a tiny amount and you got the PDFs to play this really cool game, Voyages. And um, it's really simple at its base mechanisms, but every map's really different and you're sailing around the map trying to pick up different things and avoid other things. And I just think it's such a cool system. So, yeah, I think I've played that 10 times or so in the last couple of months. Oh, wow. It's really cool. Very right. cool. Well, that's more times than I've played anything in the last couple of months for sure. <laughs> yeah, Anitra just pulled it up and it it, it does it's got a, a a neat kind of um like you're clearly, you know, sailing around, but it's it's got this interesting kind of angular perspective to it. I'm trying to look at her screen it's while a she's hex map. Yeah, it's a hex map. Um I, I mean it's it looks inexpensive. Uh, it's available to to be purchased basically at any time. So that's something definitely we'll link to that in show notes. How about we do yeah, that? Yeah, I can do yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. What have we been playing, Anitra? Um, well, you got a chance to play the unmatched Jurassic Park set with me. I did you got to get be a the chance T-Rex. to play this. I was the T-Rex and I ate you. Uh, yes. <laughs> you ate both Dr. Malcolm and Dr. Sattler. Yeah. The, the T-Rex, she is not the future ex Mrs. Malcolm. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that is a great card. Yeah, she is a beast. I mean, she is just brutal. Like, have you played Unmatched, Phil? I actually haven't, but I've seen oh, wow. the I've seen the, this set, and I couldn't believe yeah. how big the the miniature was. Yeah, it's not really a miniature. It's anymore. not. It's it's a. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's a miniature. Me, yeah. What I that's a, that's a good miniature. That's an interesting. So her movement is one, but her she she's a melee character, but she has reach. Yeah. So she kind of like honestly, especially with a single boost card, basically can cover half the map anyway. I, between her reach yeah. and some boost and it's just i mean she hits just so hard uh yeah. it's she's a tough one to to defend against well and i told you like most of the attack cards for the t-rex are somewhere between three and five mm-hmm. and that's not that unusual it's just that there aren't really any small attacks right they're all <laughs> in that three four five range and she can suck a bunch of hits too so it's like if you if you go toe-to-toe her melee with her yeah forget it it's yeah. over it's over so, uh, so yeah, so we played some Unmatched Jurassic Park. We're going to play more of that. Next time I want to be somebody ranged and stay out of range. <laughs> and see if it I seems can, like the right approach. See if I can do it any better. I got a chance to play Sunny Day Sardine. So this is a new game from 25th Century Games. It's a very basic, I guess you'd call it a set collection game. On your turn, you either uh, pick up two fish worth of cards or you play cards to complete uh, an order, which is essentially a set of different colored fish cards. Incredibly simple, very basic, but it was fun and it's quick. And uh, I won and I was the employee of the month. And it comes in a cute little tin. Yeah, it comes in a cute little sardine tin. Although our daughter Claire pointed out that it opens on a hinge. She's like, that's not how you open a sardine can. And I that was honestly true. impressed that she even <laughs> knew that. Because who eats sardines these days? <laughs> I mean, nobody in our house. Right? So I'm, I'm glad that she noticed. Right. So... Uh, yeah, so so that's a little bit of us. Anything else you've been playing? The other one I've been playing a bit of is King Domino Origins. <clears throat> yes, yes. So, great game. Yeah, so I'm a big King Domino fan, and I really like Queen Domino, but I kind of thought um, this is really just for gamers who kind of like 
King Domino. It's a bit too much, I think, for, yeah. you know, um, more casual King Domino players. But King Domino Origins, I think, got it exactly right, like the slightly more complex King Domino. Um, so it's got elements of Queen Domino, but they're a bit simpler and it sort of has three modes you can kind of build in the complexity. And so I just think it's, um, yeah, just so cool. Really love it. Yeah, I I really like it. I think the the basic mode of King Domino Origins is probably just going to replace the original King Domino for us. And then when we want a little more, there's more in the box. I, I like the the third mode where you can, you know, gain resources and turn them in for cave people and get bonuses that mm. way. But sometimes that's too much, especially playing with kids. And that's okay. Yep. yep. What else have you been playing, my dear? Uh, well, continuing our quest to find uh, ancient Greek mythology based games, themed games. And we also got it off the shelf of shame at the same time. <laughs> yes, I didn't realize we had this, otherwise I would have pulled it a lot sooner. Uh, a game called Nessos. It's Greek mythology themed, but really it's just a variation on uh, a game known as Bull or <laughs> Baloney uh, or another word I'm not going to say right now that's all about bluffing other people into taking bad cards because you're trying to get certain cards out of your hand. Mm. Nessos is actually a little bit simpler than that because you can only ever offer one card at a time. Um, And when you basically call, when you decide that you're going to take the cards, whatever it is, you turn them face up in front of you. So if they're numbers, they're good for you. And if they are uh, Charon, who is the Lord of the, um, who is the passageway to the dead, I guess. He's like the, the fairy captain. Yeah. Of um, the those are bad for you. And yeah. if you get three of those, you get immediately knocked out. Oh, lovely. Uh, so, <laughs> but the basic mechanics are ones we're very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And it was very simple. We played with three players, which was fine. I think it's probably better at more players, but you're going to spend more time sitting there knocked out at a higher player count. Right. So, eh. All right. Sounds All like right. we're moving on from that one. That's great. <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> Let's see. So that was kind of a, we talked about a couple quick short ones. Let's talk about one that we really like, but it's long. And that is Meeples and Monsters. This is a game that we released a review for uh, last week. This is a game from AEG. It is from Ol Steinus is the designer on this one. It is a kind of a bag building worker placement game that it's it's very basic, straightforward mechanics to it. There's just a lot. There's just a lot of it. It's just, <laughs> the game needs to be like half the length that it is. I laughed because we were getting ready for the review and you're like, all right, it says, you know, 45 to 60 minutes. I'm like, in what world is this ever <laughs> under an hour? Right. Every yeah. time I've played it, it's been like two to three hours. Not only that, every time so I've played much. it, I've played it with different people who have said, this game is so long. Yes. Right, which really tells you, like, it's not you or me specifically. Yeah. It's like the timer of the game is the actual monsters. And so people tend to get caught up in building up their meeple army and not actually advancing the game at all. And there's no mechanic in the game to whittle down the monster deck if people aren't killing Any monsters. Faster, and so yeah. it just drags. And so that's something that I think could be house ruled or, you know, this is the kind of game where if they put an expansion on it, they tweak the rules to, you know, fix some stuff that's... I feel like broken is kind yeah, of too harsh of a not, word. It's but, not broken. It's just yeah. there. there's some stuff there that make it 
less fun than it could be. Let's but you know how this way. game is perfect. This game is perfect for parents of like 10 to 12 year olds who want their children to go away and play a game for a long time <laughs> because the mechanics are, I mean, they nailed it for that age range. Like, especially like yeah. 11 year old boy. <laughs> Right. Hmm. <laughs> I played it with two 11 year old boys of, of, this week. Of which we've had two in our house this week. And it's just like, here, take this game that you can understand without asking us questions. We'll see you in three hours. It's perfect for that. It, it's also because it's one of those, it's almost a parallel solo kind of game, except you have to take turns one person after the other. So it's part of that big time commitment is time spent waiting around for other people. So it actually worked really well for us as a like, hey, I'm going to take my turn and then like go do something else for five minutes and then I'll come back and take my next turn. <laughs> yeah. So that asynchronous family play, which we actually talked about on last week's we show. We did talk about that last week. And yep. this would be a great game for that. Mm -hmm. Set it up and like each person as they go around, you know, as they're going around the house, they're like, oh, it's my <laughs> turn. I'll take my turn and walk away. I mean, that's so not how I want to play a board game really. Not, not but... generally, no, but this board game lends itself yep. to that. Yeah, it, it does. It does. All right, I have one more, okay. which has been very popular in our house lately. Aforementioned 11-year-old boy visiting the game Blank from yeah. Hub Games. So I like this game a lot, but I was surprised at it just like suddenly, all of a sudden it was all they played for like four days. <laughs> well, it's because our friend who's visiting really, really likes the idea of, first of all, the wacky fun that our copy of Blank has turned into, but also... Being able to customize a card when you win is a really big draw. Mm. Phil, have you played this game? Are you familiar with Blank? I've, I've, I've wanted to play it because it sounds really fascinating, but I haven't. How does it actually work? So when you win a round, you get to alter a card? Is that so, or is so it when you win a game? So when we win a game of it, you get to customize a card. So at its core, Blank feels a lot like Uno. Um, it's just a, you know, color and number matching. There's a few real minor tweaks to that. There's, but, a, there's a couple of specialty cards in yeah, it to start. And, and there are specialty cards in it to start. And you always start by also pulling out these specialty rule cards that are intended to stay out for the whole game. Um, although, of course, there are modifications that can get rid of rule cards, too. So it starts feeling kind of like a slow-moving Uno with a few elements of flux because the rules can change. Mm. But a, a huge number of the cards are blank canvases. I mean, they're designed... They're, yes, it's a color and a number and a big blank The expectation is that, they're, that people are going to be modifying cards. So a lot of the cards are just a color and a number to fulfill, you know, Uno rules for, for whatever you're doing in a standard game of Uno. But they've got a blank area at the top where someone's going to draw a picture when they select that card to modify. And there's no text on the bottom because that card will become someone's special card. Yes. And so the awesome thing about blank is it's almost like game design school. You can make this game be anything you want it to be after several plays. And as parents who play a lot of games and encourage our kids to play games, it's been a great tool for us to talk through with them when they win. And they're like, oh, I want to do this. And just before they start writing down to say, how would you feel if this card was used against you? You know, how would you feel if somebody else used this card? Like, think about some of these elements and so, like I said, in our case, we've ended up with this really wacky, almost flux-like deck. Mm -hmm. But we're at the point now 
where all of these wacky effects end up canceling each other out a lot of the time. And we've ended up with a fairly balanced game, which well, is great. I mean, it's also kind of validating as a parent because sometimes you'll be like, well, like, how would you feel if this card was played on you? And the kids are like, wow, that would really stink, but I'm going to make the card anyway. And then in a future game, guess what happens? <laughs> They're like, wow, this really stinks that this card was played on me. And we're like, I mean, I don't want to say I told you so, but the card is called <laughs> I told you so. Like, <laughs> well, and every card has a spot at the bottom for putting the name in of who designed yeah. that card, who customized that card. So you can even show the kid and be like, look, you're the one who came up with it. <laughs> I'm sorry you don't like it now. <laughs> you only have yourself to blame. You know, I think that the original plan with blank was that they were going to have supplement decks from famous designers or whatever. And I think that they had announced or maybe they were just talking about like a pandemic themed like Matt Leacock. They, they did do um, one with Matt Leacock. They, so they did sure actually they did release any, it? Any more than that. Yeah, it was called Blankdemic. Okay. I just, I can't remember. There's too many games. But, uh, <laughs> been a couple of years. But yeah, I think the plan was to do a few more of those. And, it, and it's kind of too bad that that didn't work. And of course, now Hub Games is finding its way, I guess, right now is, is what's going on, there, which is a little yeah. unfortunate uh, as well. But now we had Rory on the show, uh, Rory O'Connor from Hub Games, and he talked a lot about how it was really hands-on game design school yeah. to play this game. So I'm glad to see that it continues to do that in our house. <laughs> it certainly does. <laughs> is there any limitation on what you can write on the cards? Like, is there, are there guidelines for what you can put on them? So there are some guidelines in the main rulebook of like, go this direction or go this direction. But really, the sky is the limit. The basic guideline is don't try to do anything that's going to completely break the main mechanic of the game, which is this Uno-like mechanic of, you know, take a card from your hand that matches the number or the color, play it down. But other than that, you can do anything, which is why in our in our house it's ended up super wacky, but it doesn't have to be. It can be all kinds of other things. You could make it be a very different feeling game. Yeah, I, I mean, it really is designed to be a blank canvas, right? I mean, that's why the, the, the that, game that's is That's why called they called it blank. that, yes. But yeah, it, it's very, very open. And the vast majority of the cards when you get it are blank ish cards that you can fill out with whatever you want to so mm. i mean that's what hub games always did right with i mean with a lot of their early stuff especially i mean they were the creativity hub before yeah. that right so you know i mean that's what rory story cubes was all about was giving you this framework that's what untold is all about is giving you this framework and allowing the creative inside of you to come out and be involved in the game process yeah. and so i mean it's a game that makes sense to come from that company Right. Yes. So very much. the only other thing that's on my list at all is uh, that we finally finished the Goonies Coded Chronicles game, of which you will hear the snap in the middle of this episode. So I'm not yeah. going to talk about it that much, but we did finally wrap that up. Those Coded Chronicles games are neat. I don't know, Phil, if you've ever played. I guess there were three that have come out. No, I have. I really wanted, though, especially the Goonies one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd be I mean, really interested to compare it to the adventure game series I worked on. Yeah, I mean, those adventure games are great. It's There's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Um, the adventure games are, there's less physical components to them, as you know, as you know, obviously, than there are in the, in the Code of Chronicles games. But there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, there is. The big thing that I'll say, especially about the Goonies Coded Chronicle game, is that it is a great sort of middle ground for parents and adults who fondly remember the movie, but don't necessarily want to show that exact movie to the children <laughs> in their lives. <laughs> because they have stripped out most of the things that parents would now find objectionable and kept most of the rest of the plot of the movie in there 
which really got our kids interested in like, hey, what's going to happen yeah. next? And how are we going to escape? And how are we going to do this? I mean, they literally lifted scenes and dialogue directly from the movie. <laughs> they did. In parts of this game, mm. which was pretty fun. And it works really well. Yes, they did a really good job with it, I think. Sounds so. fun. All right. Anything else on your list before we move on, I think? Um, no, they're the two They're the two I had to uh, mention. All right. Awesome. So why don't we do this? We'll take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Joey Games. What is this thing called Joey Games? What's going on with that? All right. All right. Right after this. All right. I need to do the truffle shuffle for this. Uh, goodness, no. Oh, this is okay. a family thing. Okay. okay. But you can help. Okay. Now's the time for you to smile when I say, this is a snap review for the Goonies Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff, a Coded Chronicles adventure. Coded Chronicles is a series of puzzle games from the op, which started with a Scooby-Doo adventure that we reviewed a few years ago. We'll link to that below. This one, which is based on the movie we all know and love, it feels a little bit older, targeted maybe for players 12+. The game is set in three acts. Each one plays 45 minutes to an hour. You can play with, uh, really, as many people as you want. So let's talk about the art in this Goonies game. The art's great. It's hard to tell if they got the rights to the likenesses of the actors, but the art for them is very definitely reminiscent of those actual characters and you know you're going to recognize certain things you're going to recognize the key from the beginning of the movie in fact if there's a major set piece like the restaurant at the beginning or data's gadgets and of course the pirate ship of course the pirate ship you can bet you are going to see them here but not all at once there are tons of envelopes to open in this game and lots to unlock we don't want to spoil anything but we'll tell you a little more as we explain the mechanics of how to play just like the other Coded Chronicles games that we've played, each major character has a book. And these characters also have specialties. Mouth can decipher things. Andy and Sloth can use items. Chunk and Mikey can explore. Stuff like that. When you come across a puzzle, you can pair up the number of the character with the number of the puzzle, and then read that entry in the correct book. But be careful. Too many wild guesses and the Fratellis will catch up to you. The game stays remarkably close to the plot of the 1985 movie. Parents will enjoy revisiting the high points, but most of our kids really liked it too, even though they hadn't seen the movie. Keep solving clues throughout the game to get to the end of the story, escape with One-Eyed Willie's treasure, and win. And win. So, Anitra, what did we expect from this game? Well, we've played Coded Chronicles games before, so we knew what to expect with the books. This system, while changing some things around, seemed pretty much the same. There were a lot more envelopes to open, so we expected more puzzly things. The thing is, they are both rated 12 plus on the box, so even though, like we said, it seems a little bit older, we didn't expect the puzzles to be actually that much more complicated than what we saw in the Scooby-Doo game that we had already played. I expected it to be darker than Scooby-Doo. I mean, nobody gets killed in the movie, right? But the themes are certainly darker than the ones in a Scooby-Doo cartoon. There is a lot of mortal danger. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I will say there was some language in the movie that is not in the game, so that's great. And if you remember <clears throat> the scene with the David statue at the beginning... That is also missing. Also not in this game. Thankfully. But there's no truffle shuffle, which is weird. Uh, is it weird, though? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So did anything surprise you about this, Anitra? We had a hard time finding some of the cards and components that are mentioned. Whenever you come to a reveal this map card or open this envelope statement... 
you must read very carefully to make sure you get it exactly right. There were a couple times we were convinced that we were missing things or missing pieces just because whoever happened to be reading that paragraph maybe missed a number or something really small. We also felt that this seemed to run a little longer than Scooby-Doo. I think this is because some of the puzzles were harder or took a lot more steps to get through to the end. It also seemed like the reading would really focus on one character for a while before switching. The explore and pick up characters definitely seemed to be doing more things than the other characters. They had a lot more to read and sometimes paragraphs and paragraphs to read. Fortunately, we were able to fix this by having people pass the books around because not one person plays a single character. Right, and this way everyone got a turn to read and really be more involved. Over the razor shirt spikes that line the bottom of the pit. Pinchers of peril! Pinchers of peril! With regard to the actual game, the puzzles being harder basically meant that we just kind of ignored the Fratellis, right? So we've gotten caught so many times, especially with the kids playing, that we just kind of pretended they didn't exist. We certainly kind of skipped some of the tension of the movie while playing the game in this way, but it made the game more fun for kids. Some of that tension is still present in the narrative that gets read anyway, so it wasn't like there was no tension at all. Right. So, Anitra, what do we think of The Goonies Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff, other than the long title? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a ton of fun. The puzzles are harder than we expected, but the game is incredibly true to the source material. This is a great game for children of the 80s and 90s like us to pick up and relive the banter and the puzzles of the movie in a more family-friendly way. But I just don't think it's going to be great for younger families. If the idea of this whole thing sounds good, you might want to check out the Scooby-Doo Coded Chronicles instead. So this game is a ton of fun, but since we're considering it for a family audience, that is going to bring our rating down a little bit. What do you think we should rate it, Andrew? We're going to rate it three glittering jewels out of five. And that's the Goonies Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff. In a snap. With Phil Walker Harding. Phil, we cannot wait to talk to you about lots of your games. Okay, so Phil, one thing I have to beg you to do is go to thefamilygamers.com at some point, does not have to be now, and read our Baron Park review. Because <laughs> we, we reviewed both the base game and the expansion, and mm-hmm. we we absolutely love both of them. Yes. It is completely, I think I actually got rid of my copy of Patchwork after playing Baron Park. But also, it was a joy for me as a dad to write that because there are so many bear puns uh, <laughs> <laughs> in that quality review that I, I just really uh, <laughs> appreciate it. I mean, maybe you'll hate the review. I don't know. But yeah, it just, uh, that was a really, it it might have been the most fun review I have ever written. If you want to read somebody reaching to cram as many bear puns as they can, that is the review to look at. Yeah, I tried. I tried my best. It sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Well, I appreciate that very much. Before we get into Joey Games, I do like, okay. So I mentioned Baron Park. You also designed Imhotep, which is Anitra's favorite game ever. It is my favorite game. Uh, you also designed Super Mega Lucky Box, which is a game that completely took over our lives the second half of last year. And <laughs> It is one I, of my favorite games to show to people who are like, oh, man, I don't know. Board games seem so complicated. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, yeah. it's bingo with comboing. The like, number of people this. that bought this game after we showed it to them <laughs> is at least in the double digits. Uh, yes. <laughs> wow, that's great. How? How? 
do you come on? I mean, I, I, look, I, I know when I, when I'm opening up a Phil Walker Harding design, there's a reasonable chance there's going to be polyominoes in the box, but not necessarily. <laughs> how do you ha- like master so many? I mean, master's not the right word, but like, how do you reckon with so many different kinds of mechanics and still manage to do it consistently well? Like, what what happens in your brain <laughs> that, <laughs> that this works? I'm genuinely curious. How do you put together a game design? Well. Uh, um, Maybe that's think, an unanswerable question. I, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I think a big part of design for me is keeping it fresh and interesting for myself. So um, I'm continuing. Like if I, I mean, yes, I have done the polyomino thing a little bit, but um, I do bit. like trying new territory, you know. So if I've done a certain game or a certain mechanism a bit, I'm really keen to move on from it and and try something that'll be a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it is that, I mean, it's a style thing. Some designers like just find a little groove and sit fully in that groove. Mm-hmm. And I feel much more energized when I'm trying, you know, new and different mechanisms. I mean, even though all my games are relatively simple and family friendly and all that, I do try to change up the core mechanism I'm working with. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's that's part of my process anyway. You know, what's funny is I, I was thinking while you were talking about just some of the other mechanisms that, you know, you've designed with. And we didn't even mention the game that is probably your bestseller ever, which is Sushi Go. That drafting mechanic there is, I mean, it's so approachable and easy to understand. And I don't know who did the art for Sushi Go, but like they knocked it out of the park. It's like the perfect... It's just it's just perfect in really every cute. way. It's sushi yes, that it is, is too cute to eat. Uh, I don't mm, I don't think there's sushi that's too cute for me to eat. <laughs> All right, uh, <laughs> I really like sushi. Fair, fair. <laughs> so, what's your favorite mechanic to to work with? Maybe this is the kind of question that changes every other week. What, yeah, what's your favorite mechanic right now? Right now. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. I think it is, um, and this is sort of a mechanism, sort of a, a structure of play, but like. I'm really, really, like, hooked on simultaneous play at the moment. So, like, Super Mega Lucky Box is a good example. So games where instead of taking turns, everything's happening all at once. And that doesn't work for every game. But when it does fit, it has this humongous advantage of having everyone involved all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it completely takes out a complaint about a lot of games, which is that, you know, you're not always involved. You've got to wait for your turn. And I just think there's something so uh, direct that you're instantly in the game. You're instantly playing every turn. You have agency every turn. Um, it's just a structure I'm really enjoying at the moment. And it's part of why I think Sushi Goes fun is because every turn you get to pick a card and see what everyone else picked all at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's something I'm really – it feels a little bit like my game design crutch at the moment almost. Like I'm always <laughs> just like, eh, let's make it simultaneous. That'll make yeah. it better, you know? Um, sure. Well, I mean, and that's something, you know, is is obviously our focus is on what game playing with our kids looks like and sounds like and feels like and all that stuff. And simultaneous play is something that is huge there because kids get bored in a microsecond. So, you know, the fact that they don't have to wait for someone to take their turn. Or especially we, we are a family of five. So waiting for four other people to yeah, take their turns. Yeah. Yeah. Has been huge. So of course, you know, when, when we think of this stuff and when you talk, when we talk about 
simultaneous play and, and how it works really well with kids or even like simple engine building, which is something that works really well with kids because they can see what they're doing immediately have an effect and build and build and build. You know, it's not something where you have to invest in strategy that you expect will pay off three, four, five, six, seven turns down the road. The, you know, like an engine builder immediately, like they kids get that immediate kind of uh, like a response to, to what they're doing. All that stuff is super important. And, I think that knowing what is really important in designing a game for kids is something that obviously is on your mind big time right now because you announced this company, this imprint called Joey Games, which is, of course, what spurred me on to say, okay, enough of just praising him online. I'm going to have to actually reach out to to Phil and see if he can come on the show. So talk about Joey Games. So what is this new, exciting endeavor that you're doing? Yeah. So when I first started designing, so this is like, you know, 12, 15 years ago, I was doing, I was self-publishing my little designs. This was way before Kickstarter, doing little handmade print runs of my very, very first games. And so I started out self-publishing and then Sushi Go, the first edition of Sushi Go was a self-published print run I did. And I really enjoyed having sort of creative control or at least creative input into each step of the process. Like I really liked being able to uh, be able to direct all the artwork or, or do the artwork in some cases and be a part of the production and even be a part of how it was going to be marketed. Um, there are lots of things about self-publishing that were just a drag as well, but I loved, <laughs> sure. I loved, um, yeah, just being a part of the product the whole way through. Anyway, when sort of a lot of my other designs were getting picked up by publishers and I was getting a bit of momentum as a designer, I was quite happy to put self-publishing on, on you know, put it aside and just be a designer. <laughs> It was like, I'm sick of the business stuff. I'm sick of <laughs> that part of the work. I just want to design. But then, like, after designing for a while and sort of developing my style and the way I think about, about design, at a certain point, and it's probably turning 40 as well, you're like, what can I give back to the industry? Like, what, how can I leave my mark? Like, you start thinking in these terms. And so I kind of thought, oh, maybe it's time to go back to self-publishing because I kind of started to gather a bit of a strong vision for what I would want to do. Like just starting a publisher to put out games with no particular kind of differentiating factor didn't really appeal to me. But but when me and Meredith, my wife, got the idea for Joey, it was like, yes, this is something that really should exist that kind of doesn't exist. And so I kind of caught this vision for what it could be. And then that kind of helped me get over the hump of going back to self-publishing. I thought, no, this is something I'd really love to do and put put out there. Yeah, yeah. it's a very productive midlife crisis. <laughs> well, we'll see. Who knows what will happen? But you know, yeah, it was also very much born of the pandemic and being in lockdown. You know, so <laughs> we're in lockdown. Everyone gets a bit depressed during lockdown, and you start thinking about what are we doing with our lives, like. Is there something more I could do with game design? You know, you start asking these big, big questions. And so it sort of came out of that as well. So you mentioned the vision for Joey. I've obviously read read up on it and I'm excited about it, but some of our listeners might not actually know what we're talking about. So what is that vision? What do you want Joey Games to be? Yeah, well, the sort of sentence we've sort of come up to describe Joey Games is board games about Australia for kids and adults to play together. So there's kind of two parts. One is a company that's really focused on intergenerational play. So in the way that sort of Game Right or Harbour 
are really consciously designing games that foster great interactions between kids and adults of like very varying ages. So that's kind of really important to us. But also designing games with Australian themes that kind of celebrate uh, Australian peoples and plants and animals and places, but in a way that is like culturally healthy (laughs) rather than cringy. Because I think, yeah, I mean, Australian Australians, I think a lot of us have a bit of an odd association with our own culture. Like there's this kind of cliche about Australianisms that, you know, is out <laughs> there in the world. Say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and we kind of invented that ourselves for you all in the 80s <laughs> with Crocodile Dundee and other things like that. And, you know, that's kind of this fun, quirky thing. But actually, like, Australia is a beautiful place. And uh, Australia has an amazing Indigenous history. And these are things that a lot of Australians, I don't think, have fully embraced in a certain way. I I certainly have a bit of an odd relationship to it. And I thought I'd love to be putting games out that are just healthily expressing what's great about Australia. Because I also did a talk a couple years ago about the history of board games. Um, And I I was asked to speak at a conference called the Theology of Play Conference. And I did this whole lecture about the history of games. And one of the things I realized was how much certain games in certain cultures all around the world through history have really been cultural touchstones and have really influenced worldview and culture. And obviously a Monopoly would be one for the West. And a lot of games at that time when Monopoly came out were kind of really teaching kids to be consumers you know like they were really saying buy up big like you know get involved in capitalism like this was very much a message that these games presented and I thought I'd love to just make games with a an attempt to kind of just yeah give Australian kids this kind of healthy connection to their own country I think that's something good to do with games so that was the other part of the the vision That sounds like a really unique challenge that you've undertaken. Being Americans, you know, we we have the, I'm not going to say kind of the false representation of what Australian means that you've, you know, held in front of yourselves for all of us American (laughs) consumers to to take and shrimp on the Barbie and Foster's and Outback Steakhouse and all this stuff. So I'm really interested in, because I don't, I don't know. I, I have no idea what that plumbing deep into those things is going to look like. And I'm genuinely curious what that is. Um, is is it really looking specifically at, at like indigenous cultures and the ceremony and holiday and, and things like that that they enjoy? Is it just kind of things that have come up out of the culture that represents kind of your modern culture as opposed to something at like indigenous kind of a thing? Or like, how are you digging into that kind of or, stuff? Or I, is it like animal explorations of some of the native Australian animals that don't exist elsewhere in the world yeah yeah i'm 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 honestly genuinely interested yeah so it's maybe all of those things so um (laughs) i mean i could maybe talk about the the three games we're launching with kind of give you a little sense of it sure so one of the games is called busy beaks and it's about australian bird life so it's sort of like a rummy style game but each card is a is a is a native australian bird that has a special power that tells you a little little bit about that bird And it's just a fun, unique way to kind of engage with, yeah, like you say, birds that only exist here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's one game. That's Busy Beaks. Um, The second game 
is called scribbly gum, and it's it's about a sort of type uh, type of eucalyptus tree called the scribbly gum, uh, where baby moth larvae dig around the bark looking for food, and they as they go, they draw these amazing scribbles in the bark. And mm-hmm. so it's a really fascinating little ecological, just a really fun idea that instantly made me think of a roll and write where you're drawing scribbles. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So that's one game. And then the third game is a little quirkier. It's called Pass the Party Food. Everyone who grew up in Australia in the 80s has very strong memories or connections to certain to the way birthday parties were thrown then. <laughs> and um, part of that is this weird collection of party foods that Australians came up with. Some of them sort of come from England. Some of them are our own crazy inventions. And so it's a game that's just kind of like, oh, remember these weird things we used to eat? And I mean, kids still eat them too. So it's just they're, they're kind of a light attempt at just kind of presenting Australian things in just this really kind of healthy, natural, normal way. Hey, like here's parts of our culture we can enjoy and we can remember and we can celebrate. But a a little more seriously, going down the track, we really want to explore partnering with Indigenous artists in our games and also partnering with Indigenous peoples to maybe explore um, aspects of their culture in a game. So one thing which I've been reading about in recent times is how remarkable uh, indigenous agriculture was in Australia and the amazing kind of levels of technology, but technology that's quite different to the way we think of agricultural technology that our Indigenous peoples had. So many interesting aspects of their culture that deserve to be just like celebrated and explored and games are a great way and a, a way people can kind of dive in and learn and even empathise and even kind of engage with some of these ancient practices. So that's something like down the track we're thinking about. Obviously, that's a really big undertaking and finding the right people to partner with and be led by and that is a huge thing. But, yeah, that kind of gives you a sense of the areas we'd like it to go. Yeah. Sure, sure. When those games come out, are you planning on releasing worldwide? Are you planning on – I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to guess. Like, I, I'm – I'm interested in all sorts of games, but I'm going to guess your primary audience is going to be in Australia. Yeah, so we definitely want to focus on on Australia, like particularly like schools here and regional areas here and like independent toy and game shops here. So that will be our kind of initial focus. But we're, we're going to run a, a crowdfunding campaign really soon to kind of get everything started and we'll hopefully get a sense from that what the interest is from other areas. I mean, and we will have the games available quite widely from the start in some form, but then how much we go into like, okay, let's seriously distribute and get these games everywhere. We're kind of waiting on that. But you will be able to get them in other places, but I think, yeah, our focus will be a bit more local to begin with. Cool. Um, And for my own personal selfish self, are you going to keep going with, other designs that you'll be licensing and doing all that stuff with, or are you 100% Joey Games? Are, are we going to not see anything non-Joey Games from Phil Walker-Harding for a while? Or <laughs> No, no. I think there's no way one one uh, publisher can, <laughs> can like meet the demand of my brand. Um, <laughs> no, no. So I think we'll probably settle into Joey Games just putting out one or two things a year. Uh, we don't want to kind of fire hose release a whole lot of stuff (laughs) at all and certainly a lot of games i'll be making still won't fit the age range and the style we're looking at so any game that i come up with that doesn't fit i'll certainly be you know 
pitching to other publishers as well, but it'll probably slow down a little bit. <laughs> just the way you said that it just made me think that you're like the Brandon Sanderson of board games. They just there's too many. They're all coming. I can't stop them from coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not quite that, but sometimes uh, sometimes I feel a bit overwhelmed. Yeah. Surprise, more games. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's what he did <laughs> I, I know. With, with, with books. So um, I thought that uh, I, I was actually planning on doing this before that last little interchange. So this uh, makes, I suppose, for a good segue. I thought I'd play a little game with you. Are you ready? <laughs> uh, what, uh, what is this game? What this is game? very simple. This is very simple. If you were to guess the number of titles listed under your name on Board Game Geek, what number would you think it was? Oh, well, I know there would be under there like every little promo I've ever that's come out for any of my games. So like five or five to ten sushi go and cacao promos, and there's a whole bunch of Imhotep promos. Um, I haven't looked in a long time. I want to say forty-three. Did you see the number in each? One? I did see the yeah. number. Um, it's a bit higher. It's than higher that. than that. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh yes. What is it? Uh, it? It is 70. Wow. 70? <laughs> you are truly legendary. <laughs> well, more than more than I thought anyway. Oh. Yeah, I, I mean, now you also have to consider that things that maybe are in, haven't quite made it to the market are, are probably going to be on there. Maybe something that's yep. coming out later this year or something like that's going to be on there as well. Um, so a, a lot of that probably is promos and things like that. But 70 is not uh, not something to shake a stick at. In fact... I now have to ask the question, including hmm. promos. Hmm. What's your favorite game that you've designed? <laughs> um, That's a well, good question. <laughs> well, I, I've been asked this before. I, I guess I kind of think of it in a couple of ways. So like favorite in terms of the one I feel like really proud of and most identifies me is got to be Sushi Go because <clears throat> it's by far my best-selling game and – has opened so many doors for me and it's so fulfilling to see so many people playing it all around the world. Like it will always be my game, I guess, in that sense. But in terms of games that like I actually like to play of my own, so there are certain games you design and once they're designed, you're like, I never want to see this again. Like I (laughs) I totally understand. (laughs) I don't want to play anymore. I play tested this too much. I know every inch of it. Get it away. (laughs) Uh, but two games of mine that I actually quite enjoy playing and are not and I'm not very good at and I feel like I could actually get better at and learn a bit better like games that I could explore more of my own would be Gizmos. Um, I still like quite like playing Gizmos and Baron Park. All right. I find Baron Park quite fun to play for myself, which is like yeah, as I said, not that common. So there too that I think about that if someone brings them out, I, I don't go, you know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll play that. Yeah. So we've had gizmos on our shelf of shame for a little while. I picked it up sometime last year, and um, I actually am working on my own engine builder. It's currently on the floor in pieces. Oh, really? So I've been playing a bunch of engine builders. Okay. To not to steal ideas, but to just kind of crowdsource. It's like you know, looking at pictures Study of houses from online. The masters. Studying from the masters. Yeah, we'll, we'll say we'll say that. Well, well, Gizmos is my attempt at just like, what if you had a very simple engine that you could just completely run into the ground with craziness. 
So <laughs> if that, you know, helped you in any way, that'd be good. Well, the, the, the big challenge, not to get too off topic, but the big challenge that I'm working with right now is I want to figure out how to create something like an engine builder that doesn't involve a giant deck of cards. Yeah. And that's a surprisingly difficult challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so most of them rely right. on, yeah, like a whole lot of, like a tableau that you're filling up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. It, I don't know if it'll ever come out. I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever even get it to the point where I can pitch it, but you know, whatever. Uh, I have a board. It has pieces on it. It's it's that's, good to have things to work on. That's yeah, that's it. That's it. But anyway, so that's that. So, so we did actually recently play gizmos um, and my kids liked it a lot. I think they had a lot yeah, of fun playing. They had a lot it, of so. fun with it. So we like that one too. Uh, the other biggest challenge that I ever had was I found some 3D prints on Thingiverse where I could actually get the Bad News Bears expansion in the base Baron Park box. I've seen that. It is so tight, man. <laughs> Someone is an engineering genius who figured out how to do that. Yes. Agreed. I think if I had taken apart all the monorail posts, it might be a little bit easier because, you know, you have all the space in between all those posts. But, um, I mean, that was an engineering marvel, getting all that stuff in yeah. one box. Yeah, so I, I blame I you for that. that <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, huge fan. And, and again, I recommend to you the Baron Park Review. All right. Well, I think that's about it. I, I think we have a show. Phil, where can people find out more information about Joey Games Online? Or where can they find out more information about you or you know, reach out to you online or, or whatever? Where can they do all those things? Yeah, well, I have a personal website, which is just philwalkerharding.com. And I've got like little design notes there for each of my games if you're interested in like just having a read. But you can also contact me through there. And then Joey Games is joeygames.com.au. And you can read about what we're hoping to launch with there. And you can sign up to our newsletter as well. And we'll let you know when the crowdfunding kind of happens and when everything launches. So check that out if you're interested in in Joey. Excellent. Awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Anitra, where can people find out about us on the internet? Well, you can find us on all kinds of social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, every once in a while on TikTok at Family Gamers AA for Andrew and Anitra. Mm-hmm. You can email us. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. We are not going to let Phil Walker Harding get the best of us. We also have a website. Thefamilygamers.com. Imagine that. (laughs) You can head over to the Family Gamers community. It is a Facebook community. Easiest way to get there is to go to thefamilygamers.com slash community or to go to Facebook and search for the Family Gamers community. That works too. Great place for talking about playing games with the kids in your life. Mm -hmm, That's right. You can find us on YouTube by just searching for The Family Gamers. And uh, you'll see all of our awesome Snap reviews, including the Snap for The Goonies, Coded Chronicles, Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff. I think that's the name of it. It's a long title. (laughs) It's harder to remember when it's not in front of you. Yeah. (laughs) Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you're hearing. Tell your friends about the podcast whether you like us or not, and leave us a review at Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you subscribe. All right. Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Well, I think that's going to be it for this week. Thank you again for coming on the show, Phil. It has been just a joy to be able to talk to you and learn about all the new things you're doing. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you know, you're in the future, so like you, you're already way ahead of us. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It was lots of fun. All right, well, 
That's going to be it for us this week. So until next week, everybody, play games with your kids. kids.